Warning, the hosts of the Dwarf Fortress Roundtable podcast are not experts at Dwarf Fortress. Even with the odd chance that they sound authoritative, they may not be correct. Follow their advice at the peril of your dwarves. Welcome to Dwarf Fortress Roundtable, the podcast for all things dwarfy. This is Tony and Roland with me, Jonathan. How you guys doing? Hello. I'm great. Yeah, pretty good. So it is Sunday, February 14th, Valentine's Day. And if I would have been thinking ahead, this would have been a good time to talk about dwarven relationships. But <laughs> didn't prep that. All right. That's okay, I guess. We still have a next time. Yeah, so, we'll, we'll survive. Uh, because when this airs anyway, it's going to be so far past that day. There's a week delay. There's a week delay. Exactly. So. Do you know how volatile these relationships can be? I mean... <laughs> Tell me about it. Huh? An empire can rise and fall in a week. That is true. This is the first time in a while that we've had all three of us together at the same time. You know, let's true. party. It is. We've been socially distanced for a number of episodes, and, and now the gang's back. Last time we were together, the 47.05 had just been released, and CleanoDev had released a couple of Caveat mTOR packs. So now, Paradexus Arant has released the first version, the first release of his uh, Linux Noob pack, and that is what I am running on at the moment. Yep. Have you had a chance? Is it running well, though? Good. Yes, I'm. I'm having no yeah. uh, no problems. I mean, my only problems are my own ineptitude with <laughs> gameplay. So we're back to normal. You know. Nice. Yeah. It's I, like you know, I can kill myself. I think that I have noticed the uh, the the stress levels are not as high. Uh, this I'm not even having to to pay any attention to my dwarf stress level. So yeah, I. I mean, same thing. I had been playing older worlds, so I rarely, I rarely survived to where I would have to think about stress. Like usually, the undead siege came and killed everyone bef- long before I would, before my poor gameplay killed the dwarves. But uh, yeah, now there's. I'm gonna roll. A, I've started a very young world, and you know, we'll see how it goes stop necromancy before it takes root <laughs> i did have a necromancer show up as an as a um as a migrant and instead of worrying about what was going on with that and and how that might cascade i just uh as soon as i found out that it was a necromancer i exiled him oh kill on sight dude yeah exactly gotta, you gotta kill it kill it now don't no exile for the <laughs> when you see a brown recluse you step just on go it find a tower you step on it and you call the exterminator exactly, just <laughs> Take it down. Exactly. But now I've got a vampire, and that's not quite so easily um, not quite so oh. easily uh, rooted out. But oh yeah, that can be a can be a tough game. But yeah, I'm I'm having my fortress now is like four years old, I suppose. I've got about 110. No, I look down here. I've got uh, 98 people in the in the fortress, and it's going just fine. But that kind of brings up the the main topic that I wanted to to talk about today, and that is. As your fortress ages and your dwarves have dug more and more out, how do you keep any sense of organization in your fortress? I've found that that when I'm going through my day-to-day fortress operations, 
you know, they say the center doesn't hold, and I find that is very true in Dwarf, Dwarf Fortress. It seems that everything just gets uh, disorganized and ragged, and I'm not exactly sure what I was planning on doing. So things just tend to take on a mind of their own. How do you guys deal with that? Um, my stuff ends up pretty messy, honestly. I'm not, I, I don't think I've mastered organization. I try to do um, custom stockpiles and stuff uh, for food and seeds. I try to keep that stuff separate. That I try to make a pasture. Yeah. I just, bare minimum is kind of <laughs> how it usually shakes out for me. I have been doing, uh, in, in this fortress especially, it's been almost all custom stockpiles. Yeah, so whenever I'm trying to haul things to the to the trade depot, there's some of the things that list as finished finished goods that I want to keep, and some things that I want to just to to just ship out because we don't need 720 uh, bracelets and and crowns and things like that. So that's the stuff that I like to sell. But the finished goods stockpile also includes things like crutches and ropes. And basically anything, I guess, that is is not in f- f- what they call arbitrarily furniture. Whenever the trade, de- whenever a caravan shows up, I go to, I click on the trade depot and go to G, move goods to the trade depot, and then I run through my list. And typically, I go down to crafts and move all the crafts. That's the way, especially I used to do it. Now I'm trying to reserve my my masterpieces and keep them further away from this from the from the trade depot, so that all the things that I want to trade are closer to the trade depot than the things that I want to reserve. And instead of just selling uh, all of my crafts, I will only sell the crafts that are within like 27 spots of the of the trade depot. That's working out pretty well, actually. Um, so that's yeah, that's working out pretty well. But at the same time, I have learned to go into the uh, to the stockpiles that I put near my trade depot and make sure that the only things that are in that are things that I want to trade. Because um, if you don't do that and you have a lot of stuff that you want to trade, it takes forever to navigate that that uh, trade menu whenever you have uh, you know all of your stuff mixed together and you have to go one by one and make sure that you're not selling a you know a wooden splint to the elves yeah you know what I stopped uh, putting things in bins and um, I had a few bad experiences with the elves where just even them seeing rock crafts presented in a wooden bin, made them go to war with me or whatever. And I was just like, you know what? Bins just suck. So I stopped using bins entirely. And I have yet to build a fort, and I'd say in the last year, where I used bins. You, you can still do like metal bins, you know, and, and they won't freak out about that. What kind of bins? Metal bins. Makes sense. Yeah. Ah. Like yeah, uh, when you have some trash metal like zinc or lead, then just do bins with that. Well, that's a good idea. Yeah. Does that help I mean, you I, see this is this yeah. is why I listen to this podcast because <laughs> I pick up so many useful tips from it. He listens to his own podcast. All right, um, <laughs> but uh, you know I do agree with the, the the whole bin problem because for some things bins are excellent. For some things they are terrible. I mean, if you are trying to trade with the elves and you have wood bins, then that's not going to happen. You know, trading is not going to happen because you'll have to sort out everything out of the bins. And that's terrible. will take forever. Having your ammunition in the bins makes your dwarves unable to like pick ammunition up 
for some reason. So they like don't do it and just run around without ammunition. On the other hand, if you have like six million necklaces, then you might want to consider doing bins. Yeah, Um, exactly. Well said. One thing I just wanted to clarify, make like stockpiles with everything in it, Jonathan. I don't do that very much at all. Um, I do that when the fortress first starts, just to basically get everything indoors. And ah, once okay. once okay. I start, once I start actually organizing a little bit, I I end up creating stockpiles, and those original stockpiles get removed so that everything gets moved in the rightful places. So no, I don't typically do uh, stockpiles oh, okay. and everything. But if you look at the finished goods uh, category of stockpile, that might as well be everything. I mean, there's yeah. You know, you got you got crutches and you got urns and you yeah. got mugs and you've got uh, you know the fancy stuff that you're putting jewels in so that you can make some money. Yeah, like- I know it's it's annoying, and that is why I try to like um, split up my finished goods stockpile as much as I can. For example, crutches, I get an extra stockpile uh, either in or next to my hospital. Uh-huh. So that the the finished goods stockpile that is in my main crafting area is free of them. They're just um, like uh, ropes or or uh, large gems or something like that. Or I don't know, like scrolls or like, stuff that I don't really need. But important stuff get it, it gets its own stockpile just to make sure that I can like look at the stockpile and go like, oh yeah, it's pretty. Uh, empty i should make new crutches same for soap by the way <laughs> i still have never made a bar of soap oh my god oh my god yeah. what? <laughs> okay that's that's you have homework <laughs> you absolutely have to make some soap first of all it's a very satisfying part of the game i think very satisfying part of the game so what do you do with it um, they you wash don't themselves. have to do, yeah, yeah. Like they wash themselves and they they like groom themselves, uh, wash their beards, wash their hair. Um, and the best part is they can wash off infections. Meaning that if if a dwarf has like a serious wound, then it can be, uh, uh, you know, you don't stick a bar of soap in your dog wound, but they do it, um, so they don't plug get up, infections. Medicine. So I feel the need to clarify here. I know in general what you do with soap. I don't want to make people think oh, <laughs> it's the COVID-19 pandemic. I don't know what soap is for. <laughs> you know, Anthony Fauci has been telling me for a year now what soap is for. So I get that. Yeah, no, no. It's <laughs> it's just for clarification that the dwarves actually use soap in a normal, I'm using soap sense kind of way yeah. that we normal humans in the real world would use soap, you know, except for yes, like, I wouldn't that's... stick like a bar of, of like thick soap into my wound, but okay. <laughs> It's just a fa- it's just a failure of creativity, my friend. You've never tried it. Yeah, no, it, it, I found it really useful because I've had dwarves die because they're like, you know, somebody somebody couldn't clean couldn't dress wound, no soap available, and I was like, no soap available. What the heck? Um, that's and so yeah, that's why I got into it. And then once you figure out how to do it, it becomes pretty straightforward to just get it right you know what i mean like it's 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 not like minecarts or something where you'll literally spend portions of 
time just trying to figure out how mine cards work like it's it's pretty straightforward you just do this 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 and then so it's like it's yeah it's not too bad and you know if you have like a big cat industry dog industry like in general like butchering <laughs> animals going on i i don't know why i started with cats uh um <laughs> we've talked about cat soap yeah yeah if you have that going on uh, then soap just becomes a natural byproduct of the whole chain um, you just have to set up like some some ash making, a lie maker, stuff like that, and then it just comes natural. And suddenly you butcher a single cat, and you have like two hundred fifty thousand bars of cat soap. And you're like, oh, when did that happen? <laughs> well, and yeah, and we don't use cat soap around the house in real life. Just to put that out there, well, but, you don't uh, have enough cats. But the, that's right. I just need more. There's lots of feral cats around here, so I guess I could. It's a failure of my own imagination, apparently. But no, it's a yeah. It's it's definitely a thing that I use because inef- inevitably, like, there's too many cats and dogs. Like, it just kind of happens over the growth of a large horde, and you don't want to have ten frames per second, so you end up having to cull some of these lovely beasts. And so, yeah, that's why I usually end up with dog soap or cat soap. It's not because I'm a sadist or anything. <laughs> So, quick aside, what is a Fed Zulbin's fist? Um, that that sounds is like probably. One of your... Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, isn't that one of your undead? One of your intelligent undead? Is that yeah, what... probably. Is that what it is? It says that it's a wild animal. I've got one attacking my fortress that I had. Set. Oh yeah, um, yeah. yeah they, they do sometimes count as animals or animal men, but they actually like intelligent, uh, like civilized beings but they like transformed so much that the game now counts them as animals oh try to think of it like not as animal but like a bestial you know that, that would make more sense do you think you could what was it called jonathan it's called fed Zulbin's fist and it's dead now my my squad you know what you should do is create some fed Zulbin's fist soap is, is the yes challenge that I yes for. for example do that Okay, well, that, then, so tell me what the workflow is from the time that you kill something to the time that it becomes soap. Well, from, from if you have no soap industry at all yet. Yeah, okay, okay. What you, what you want to uh, do is um, you need a butcher workshop. Got one. Um, good, great. You need, um, what, what, what's it? Uh, what's it uh, a furnace. Ashery. Uh, a wood furnace. You need wood a wood furnace, furnace first, yep. first, and then an ashery, um, and then you just need uh, the soap makers workshop. Okay, mm-hmm. so so butchery. Do you actually have to render the fat, or does the does the soap? No, they do, do it itself? automatically. Yeah, they do it automatically. It's pretty neat. So yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Doris. <laughs> Shades of the Paper Street Soap Company coming up into my head. Uh, sorry, old reference to old movie uh, Fight Club. Mm. O- old movie? Oh yeah, god, it I'm is old. now. It's like twenty um, something years old. No, this no. right? Shisa. Yeah. Oh. Great movie though. Anyway, so yeah, there's a lot of stuff about soap in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's. Hey, you know what? They know about injuries and keeping your injuries clean. And they know oh. about making soap out of dwarves. Oh, got him. Yeah. Cats? Do they do cat soap? I no, don't they didn't do cats, that. but they sure did uh, do uh, human soap. So, Oh, nice. That's great. I always want to 
scrub myself clean with the fat of my enemies, then who wouldn't want that? Yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> Wait for the modding community is all I've got to say for this game, because I guarantee you, you're going to be able to use goblin soap once that steam release comes. Uh, or elven soap. Well, could you not do that anyway? Can you not butcher a goblin? Um, well, so. no. I mean, sadly, you can't because it counts as an actual sentient creature. Uh, I know it's like a whole discussion about this. Like, are elves sentient? Uh, but uh, <laughs> your you yeah, wolves think, won't eat them. Yes. <laughs> I think, yes, they are sentient for the purposes of the... Well, if you can yeah. trade with them, they're probably sentient. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, can, we can dislike their sentience, but... Agree to disagree. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, I, I think That's we kind mud. of spiled away from the original theme, Soap. actually. <laughs> Soap. Um, Soap. Yeah, like entropy, entropy, fighting entropy in the fortress. Fighting one good way. Podcast. Yeah. Yeah, like uh, one good way of doing that is, for example, making elaborate industries, like not just baseline industries, but actually like overshooting by a lot. So, for example, making a massive soap industry to the point that you can just buy out the traders every single year just using soap bars. Um, is it dumb? Yes. Would it work? Yes. <laughs> Would you fight entropy doing that? Oh, absolutely. Um, Would it be a great story for your podcast? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, but, uh, for example, I fight entropy by... Uh, I, I have my, like, layout stuff going on, and I just do my layout that is fairly like the same between fortresses i just change very few things from fortress to fortress um but i always have like a plan of what i'm trying to make like oh yeah let's let's find out about beekeeping or something so i make a fort that is almost 99% the same as the one before except for the fact that i now have a massive beekeeping industry and I always overshoot, like completely, so that uh, while the rest of my fortress is running, because the current setup is the old setup, meaning I know it's stable, so I can like focus on the new thing. And sometimes the new thing is an industry branch, sometimes uh, it's just military, sometimes it's dumb stuff like, let's raid a tower until I get the Necronomicon. It doesn't really matter. I just do so. And most of the time I do things very like alike than the fortress before, meaning that I do a lot of the dwarven toilet simply because it's quite efficient when you like, try to get rid of things. But sometimes the game still is like, oh, you're trying to make bees work? Well, guess what, buddy? You don't have any bees. Um, or, oh, yeah, like a forgotten bees burned down all your your hives or something like okay cool and then you like your focus shifts and you have something going on like all the time i get more and more into the whole role play thing like i'm i'm starting fortresses with not more than 30 people um and then i let them roll and until i hit like 50 80 100 you know and then I know my dwarves. I know the history. I know the family. I know their likes, dislikes, and stuff. Um, because if you just get like a hundred dwarves, two hundred dwarves in the first year or the first two years, then it's too much, and they like blur into this weird mess of 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 like minions at your disposal. 
and I try to like keep it very close, very like family branches kind of thing so that I know, yeah, this family is like a beekeeping family and they got a kid. So I just note down that this kid is going to be a beekeeper as well or something like that, you know? And do you think they ever wonder, do I have free choice or is my fate decided for me? Poor dwarves. Oh, oh, uh, I, I could do an entire podcast about this as well, but, uh, hmm. <laughs> you know, I would um, like to do that, Roland, but it, I, I get to where I just feel like it's taking so long to, to get through a month of game time if I'm reading, which, you know, I guess it's what you're in, what are you in the game for? What, what's, what's your, what, what yes. fun do you get out of it? Personally, I get the most joy out of watching them carve stone that maybe i'm just a boring person but i enjoy watching them watching them just dig out the areas and it sort of tweaks a little bit of dopamine reward for the for the ocd part of my little brain Hmm. that uh that whenever okay so they have dug out this massive area of stone and they've put it all into a pretty stockpile now let's go have them dig out something that's oh look they hit this beautiful blue stone this cobalite or whatever it's called by the way, which is my, now my favorite stone in the game because I like dark it's blue. Really cool. And I like it whenever they make, make a, lots of thrones and tables and all kinds of stuff out of this dark blue stone. It's great. But Yes. So, yes. so yeah. Um, yeah, I, see, that's, that's it. It's like it's kind of what you want to draw from it. Yeah. Like Roland said, he wants to do the role play thing. That's, that's awesome. He's able to do that. I mean, I get a little impatient sometimes waiting for them to dig out. So I will use, like, I have my frame rate set to unlocked. So, like, right now they're cruising along at 322 frames per second, which is fantastic. I got to say, that's one of the things I respect about Krug Smash so much is that there's no way that I could that I could go deeply into these dwarves. And, and I mean, you are given a lot of information about your dwarves, but there's so much that you have to fill in yourself. And, and he does such a great job of, of, you know, bringing personalities out in those dwarves that, that he puts on his, on his weekly episodes. So no I wouldn't, I, I, I'm just not good. I love watching it, but I'm not the best at doing that myself. Yeah, it's I, I, I do get it. It's it's not very easy because just playing the game, skimming along and, and uh, like having your horde of minions is super fun. I know, but I have to say that I got into the game because I wanted to like um, slow pace things. Mm-hmm. And uh, like the whole role play thing about Dwarf Fortress is so relaxing to me because I know that the game is waiting for me, so I can just sit here for like 44 minutes reading descriptions of like just 10 dwarves and imagining them in my mind, what they're wearing, how they act and stuff. And for example, now I have a military dwarf that is really depressed because he had to purchase some else. Uh, now I'm going to assign him away from the squad so that he can like recuperate and drink some wine with his family and stuff. Uh, just so that um, not because I don't want him to get like crazy depressed or something. Like, honestly, I don't care about that. It's more about the the whole thing of I'm trying to like make it a bit more special, like making it about a single wolf, you know? I'm sorry. I missed that. What did he do to the elves to make him depressed? Oh, no, not the elves aren't depressed. The elves are dead. Um, oh, he, he, he but, got depressed because he had to kill the elves. 
Yeah, yeah. He saw okay. some dead bodies and did not like that. Gotcha, gotcha. I thought they were supposed to care less about that now. Are you yeah. seeing that? Did it- yeah, yeah, no. They, they do care a lot less uh, because I had um, about 15 dwarves in my military and they all saw bloodshed and only a single dwarf actually uh, is now dragged down from it. Um, so yes, and usually I actually screen my dwarves, like actually screen my military dwarves for like mm-hmm. not the not the skill because they can they can like train that, but for the mental capacity that they have. A strong dwarf is cool, but when the strong dwarf has like n- no no like uh, happiness propensity, meaning that he gets depressed easily or that he like sees a lot of negative things in his life, then he's like not the best fit for military dwarves. And the man that is had has basically no empathy at all, but is somewhat weak, is a better fit simply because you know I can train him. And I can like assign him to the pump stack for two years so he gets buff. But I cannot make his mind change so much. Can do only little tweaks, you know? Right. And now um, this man actually got so depressed that he killed his friend. And now another person oh, is dear. sad. Oh. Um, <laughs> another person's dead. That- yeah, and that happened because I was talking about uh, reassigning him and didn't do it. Um <laughs> But, you know, uh, this this is like the little things that I do. And um, when I get into the hole, I'm trying to like find, uh, even, if, even if it's like small things, like my barony likes lead on, on everything. So I try to make like lead statues of her and put it in her room. Even if it's like small things like that, I can put so much time in this game simply by just looking at the tiny details. So I got a quick question. We were talking about uh, organization and and bringing stuff to the trade depot. Do either of you know how to filter the trade screen for furniture? You can. It's I have not been able to find anywhere in the trade menu how you can see your furniture except to go just to the hmm. all and see everything. I mean, that, you can you can just search for it. I guess you could just type in thrones. Like rock thrones, and then just thrones show up. But um, just want to remind you, yeah. You know what? I need to send you a Valentine's Day box of candy because I did not even know that freaking existed. Which one? (laughs) Oh my goodness! The search feature. What's that? Yes, I didn't know that that was even in the trade menu. I, for whatever reason, <laughs> for three years the S has eluded me, and I have now seen the S, and I have seen the light. Wow. Who knew? You did. I didn't. But I do now. Thank you. That's made my life Um, so much easier. Does does it work? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, You know, but uh, trading trading furniture is a bad thing because it's quite heavy. Well, that's okay. It all gets end up put. It all ends up right beside. Like I said, I put all of my goods that I want to trade right next to the uh, to the trade depot anyway. Okay. so. But and it's also uh, easy to to make and easy for them to make uh, nice stuff. So, but yeah, you're you're right. It is heavy, so they won't be able to carry as much of it away. Wow, 
goodness sakes, I did. I'm, I'm just shocked that I didn't know that that existed. Uh, an epiphany on the podcast right here. Yeah, it's you heard it here first, folks. So I have another potentially epiphany moment. Okay. That I want to ask a question about. Uh-huh. So, you know, when you have a world where there are different islands and then occasionally those islands are close enough together so that an industrious player could build a bridge. Does the game connect the islands if you build a bridge or is it just fun for you? Well, what do you mean? Does that make sense what I'm asking? So like um, if if I build a bridge between islands, does that mean that my dwarves can suddenly now travel between islands or the game if it ages? Like, you know, when you create a new fort, does that open up movement between these two islands? So um, can I start seeing caravans or attack things well, in other continents if one of my forts builds a thing there? A while back, I actually saw a thread about this. And as it turns out, like the world generation doesn't really, you know, know what to do with bridges, especially like long ones. Um, so you won't really get like any trade caravans suddenly coming in, but you can use them as an adventurer. So suddenly like going onto like a small island that was like impossible to get off before is now suddenly an option. So an adventurer can okay. do it, but the caravan doesn't seem to like it. I see. Interesting. Yeah, because I was sort of wondering about that because I have this one and it's like the the span is far too long for me to be able to do anything meaningful with the bridge. Like it's ridiculous. I had to go and basically stretch the embark box to be huge and then game complained about how big it was and all that. So I just dug a tunnel with big ramps. And so now like if you use the tree depot, you know, the whatever it is, capital H or what is the thing that capital D capital D yeah. shows you wherever. Yeah. Which shows you where the tree depot can go. Um, like they, they can go under there. They, they should like, it's a huge tunnel underneath the ground. So I was just kind of hoping maybe that would mean that I could attack things down there. And, and all of that. so was it this Island? Is it under oh, yeah, an ocean it connected now? Or is it under a lake? Yeah, yeah. And when I look at the world map now, it shows my fortress spanning the spanning the islands here. So I think I may have reunited my continents. So this will be interesting. See if I can raid things in other islands and stuff. Now it looks like I can. Well, that's fun. Huh. Mm. And they cool. will call it the Tony yeah, Strait. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm wondering because now it says that I could. I this doesn't say inaccessible anymore. That's interesting. Huh. Hmm. Huh. Now it says 22 days travel, but that's, we could do that. Oh, that's cool. So even your squads can actually use the bridge. That is nice. Yeah, I embarked on this island in the far south, and then I connected the islands, and now, yeah, I can get, I can now kill these elves. Oh, that that's is That's so great. satisfying. Um, it's basically a whole island full of elves that are at peace, and oh, they're not nice. connected to anyone. Uh, this, that's wonderful but you know what this <laughs> Sorry, means guys. right you know what this means because i'm pretty sure the threat that i saw was from the old update like the one before without the whole squad and like going out and killing things so maybe that changed yeah. maybe this means that when you send a dwarf to like a settlement and go like hey yo we we are approachable now then maybe they do actually send people then well, then the question that I have now is I'm going to retire this fort because job well done. Um, <laughs> and will my new civilization be able to travel to all these places and use that tunnel? That is the question. Oh, that's really a good question. Because yeah. so we'll so maybe the game has time to reset a little bit. 
Yeah, let's see. I mean, because it's not this this thing wasn't connected to my fort. So hey, I'm about to see if this works. What an exciting world we live in. I love it. Somebody's probably listening here and they're like, oh my God, dude, there are threads and threads and threads about this. And like, I just discovered something that everyone knew. <laughs> like like searching your, your trade goods. Uh, that's the joy. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I think this would be a good place to stick in the fact here that we like talking about Dwarf Fortress, but we don't know what we're doing. We- <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wouldn't have laughed more if it didn't hurt. <laughs> Does anyone know that? Does anyone really? Yeah, I guess that's maybe the point of the podcast. I mean, you could argue Tarn, but then I think didn't he say one time he doesn't really play Fortress mode? So maybe he doesn't know either. Just saying, it is truly an unknown. Yeah, <laughs> it worked. I bridged the islands. You can do it because they just set up far, far away in a different continent and these two were inaccessible and now they are accessible well, that's oh, that cool. is sweet wow. that is sweet doggone exciting as that that is just super so all i did was dig a tunnel to connect the island and now everybody can get to it so that's fun if you look at the long view then you can your fortresses can shape the world in ways that we didn't expect that's yeah that's worth some some further investigation mm-hmm. yeah that's exciting now everything's connected how fun Oh, hmm, fun. I wonder if you can change pathfinding too. Like if I could build other little fortresses and bridge things, because now it takes 22 days to travel there. But if I build another bridge here, I wonder if that would shave off the time. Well, yeah. Can you, uh, yeah, that, that brings the idea. Can you artificially, it would take forever, but can you artificially create a landmass with fortress after fortress? <laughs> oh, God. You mean like an actual oh like island yeah, made a, by dwarves? A dwarf oh made God. island that, uh, that that you can embark to in another uh, embark. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, because I see this tiny little island out here in the middle of the ocean. So you're saying basically just go to the end and then see if, if it will let you. Oh, golly. You're just full of ideas. That's a good one. This is like <laughs> Dwarven terrain generator. Exactly. Why not? It goes slow because you gotta you gotta you know create a new fortress and a new embark for each each little incremental distance that you that you create. But you know, I think it might be able to be done now. So yeah, as I found this island here, it's a red squiggle island, which I think means it's a desert. Um, ooh, yeah, this would be great. I'm gonna connect this up. Wow, oh, and a tower out on an island. Boy, yeah, let's bring those guys in. That'd be fun. So I, I want to talk uh, real quick before we uh, before we wrap up. I want to talk a little bit about a good news, bad news kind of thing that I heard. Uh, I listened to uh, Blind IRL had a uh, or Blind. I, I call him both. At least I'm not calling him Blindy RL anymore. All right. So what's Blindy say? Uh, so he had a, a interview with Tarn uh, that he released a few days ago, and I really recommend everyone go out and listen to that uh, to that interview because it's a really nice interview, and you hear lots and lots of of input from Scamps Tarn's cat. But uh, they talked about forty seven oh five. They talk about uh, adventure mode some, uh, and the thing that really perked my ears though was their talk about this upcoming Steam release, and and it was Ooh. nice. Yeah. Blind did a really good job of asking some kind of I'm not going to say that he asked hard questions because it wasn't like a gotcha interview, but uh, but he did a good job of asking some hard questions like uh, is the steam release ever really going to be done? (laughs) 
and <laughs> and in and wonderful typical Tarn uh, uh, method, he says he says yes, it'll be done. I have no idea when. So, <laughs> but yeah, he he says he he mentioned that he didn't really even know how to gauge how far along they were, except to list the things that they want to do and need to do. And I got a little bit scared when he started talking about, and then we've got to work on adventure mode. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, Oh man, that scares me. That makes me think that. Okay. Yeah. You know, software development is hard it is. and it is, you know, I don't think anyone will, um, doubt that, but you know, and I think that's also kind of like, you know, Tarn is a one man show or two, let's let's say two man show. Um, and, and so I think that's a lot to kind of take on, on your own. So, you know, he doesn't have a project manager saying, Hey, you know what? That sounds like an awesome thing for the next release. Let's just do a point release with these five things in it. And then we go, well, you know, I think he's probably thinking of a more like, man, this is my vision and this is what I want it to be, you know? And so it's, you know, if you're, if you're kind of operating like that, as Door Fortress always has, it's always going to be kind of a time is subjective sort of thing. Well, all that was the bad news part of it. The good news is, mm-hmm. is that then they started talking about, well, I can't really, I can't really give you a date. Uh, you know, time is subjective, but it'd be better to have it sooner than later. And we're thinking we would rather have it re-released this year than next year. That's not the exact words, but that was the gist of where the conversation went. So it made me hopeful that maybe mm-hmm. we will see it, uh, mm-hmm. the steam release by the end of this year. Um, uh, that seems to be he's not saying that he's putting a mental target on it, uh, but that seems to be kind of a unofficial, perhaps mental target launch period, if you will. Well, I think that makes sense because now more than ever, people know about this game. And and like I'm talking normal people that don't know much about weird computer games like now they'll all say things like it's just a bunch of squiggles and it's just colors and lines and that game's too impossible for me to ever play i'm too dumb to know this but i think you know it's like the fact that it's come up that much in public knowledge is pretty impressive you know like people know it um and then the next step is i'm curious (laughs) you know that's the you know it's it's good there's a lot of popularity now. That was one of the big things that he was talking about, though. Almost all of his discussion about the Steam release was talking about the fact that the new re- version needs to be uh, much better at bringing people into the UI, and that that uh, while they realize that they aren't UX professionals and that UX professionals are a thing, they're doing their best to make it uh, be easier to use. If things like always well, talk about like beds. You know, we talked about about beds a few episodes ago. About the fact that it would be nice if you didn't have to go R, enter, enter, R, enter, enter, R, enter, enter, ad nauseum. He talked about (laughs) selecting beds and basically doing a drag and drop a square around them for selection. Now, he did not specifically say and multi-selecting bedrooms, but, um, you know, that was the kind of thing that, that he's that he's working on now. So that's that's good news. And I was happy to hear that. We're at least thinking about a release date being within the next year, year and a half, and that hopefully it's not going to turn into vaporware. That, that's my biggest fear. That's that's my biggest fear is that we'll end up being vaporware, and I really hope that it has an end to development. So, awesome. Um, well, happy, happy, happy. 
<laughs> Where? Yeah, I mean, I, I link think will be in the dwarf in the dwarf notes. <laughs> the link will be in the dwarf notes to the interview with Tarn. All right. Um. Yeah. Okay. Well, happy Valentine's Day, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Well, until next time, this has been the Dwarf Fortress Roundtable podcast. Peace. We will catch y'all uh, in two weeks. Later, skater. See you guys. This has been the Dwarf Fortress Roundtable podcast. You can find all our past episodes at dfroundtable.com. Stop by and leave a message or suggestion in the comments section for this episode. While you're there, you can subscribe to Dwarf Fortress Roundtable or find us in the podcast service of your choice. You can find video content on our YouTube channel, and you can send us an email at urist at dfroundtable.com. That's U-R-I-S-T at dfroundtable.com. Please consider donating to the creators of Dwarf Fortress at bay12games.com. If you'd like to help support this podcast, you can find us at patreon.com slash dfroundtable. Music for this episode is from filmmusic.io. Sky Cullen and Folkround are both by Kevin McLeod. You can find more from Kevin McLeod at incompetech.io.